Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. Okay. So hopefully you're not feeling oppressed by the difficult person. I find the difficult person a fascinating exploration. For me, it's uh, really reveals um, how much I don't like feeling hurt. (laughs) And when there's pain in the heart, how that blocks loving kindness. And so often for me, there's that almost kind of a Um, an oscillation back and forth between some compassion for myself, holding that hurt, and then having kindness for myself and the difficult person, kind of moving moving back and forth between those. And uh, and just when there are those moments of of some genuineness of the wish for goodwill, how freeing it is. To, to, to sort of clear away the, the fixed image, the fixed notion we can have of someone based on our particular history with them or their actions or omissions in our relationship and then to just see them as a human being and how freeing that can be. And it's an exploration. It's a, it's a process and a cultivation so these uh, qualities of metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity um, are known as um, the bound- boundless qualities. Sometimes they're referred to as the immeasurables, appamana, not able to be measured, um, because in their fullest form, uh, they have no boundaries. This process of cultivating kindness moves in the direction towards expanding beyond the limits of our small world, our small sense of self. I like you and I don't like you and I'll be kind to you, but I won't really pay that much attention to you and you can get a little bit, but not too much, to open to the the potential for uh, a fullness of heart that's limitless. So they are immeasurable in their potential for expansiveness, that they can be radiated and offered these qualities to an unlimited number of beings. It's, it's beyond the, the, the quality of kindness, that capacity or ability goes beyond any one of us as an individual. We, we tap into that potential of being human. That kindness is a force that uh, exists in life beyond any one of us. It's something that we can all tap into and experience. And then it's like it, it comes through us. 
rather than it being something that, you know, I, this particular personality, am generating. They're also immeasurable or limitless in their potential. That the potential benefit of one moment of warmth is boundless. You know, one moment of kindness can save a life, can transform a conflict, can prevent violence. Just one moment of kindness. So they are boundless and immeasurable in their potential for healing and transformation as well. So we develop the practice by, by, by deepening our connection with kindness with individuals, starting where it's easiest, with a mentor, a benefactor, ourself, a friend, slowly extending, kind of feeling it out, going to a neutral person, working with a difficult person, seeing what that's like, if we can generate a connection with that sincerity, even if we're not feeling it, that we can connect with the sincere intention, like, I would like to feel kindness towards you, even if I don't, you know, may I have that wish. And then we expand the field of kindness in widening circles. So traditionally, after doing metta for the difficult person, the practice moves on to certain groups, beginning to offer kindness to groups of beings, extending, widening the field, spreading beyond people with whom we have a personal and individual connection to entire categories of groups, of humans, of non-humans. And the aim, the idea, is that the full development of any one of these qualities would allow us to develop and radiate kindness, for example, to any being everywhere. Sorry, to any being anywhere or to all beings everywhere. So we can choose different groups or places or categories, even different directions geographically, to explore and see where are the boundaries of my heart. Like where do I get tripped up? Can I begin to extend that wish in all places? So traditionally, the categories, um, there are seven traditional categories. These are 25, 2,600 years old. So you will see kind of the, the limits in terms of that particular time and where we are today. Um, So the traditional categories are male and female, so fairly binary in that way, Uh, awakened, enlightened beings, and those yet to be awakened or enlightened. Uh, And then um, heavenly beings, sort of like devas, angels, human beings, and then beings in what are considered the lower realms in the Buddhist cosmology animals, hungry ghosts, hell realms. So this may or may not connect with us today in 2018, uh, but we can take the framework and the intention, the concept, and make it relevant for us and looking at groups of beings that are meaningful in our life. So I know for me, when I was doing metta practice intensively, 
the using the, the categories of uh, gender, including sort of third category of uh, gender nonconforming, non-binary, transgender, uh, male, female, even as these categories are fluid and socially constructed, um, they are still parts of our identity um, that we inhabit in our life. And it was deeply transformative, very powerful for me as a cisgendered man to offer metta in this way and to connect with um, both the pain and the suffering and the beauty of uh, those particular expressions of life. We can offer metta to um, human and non-human beings, beings in the sky, on the land, in the sea, beings near and far, all beings who have been born, all beings who are yet to be born. So there are many ways to kind of slice and dice it. And the idea is, is this sense of expansion, exploration, and inclusion. Right? Sharon, Sharon and I were talking earlier, and uh, she's saying she has a friend who has insomnia and likes to do, when she can't sleep at night, she likes to do metta for all beings who are sleeping and all beings who are not sleeping. <laughs> So you get the idea, right? So um, we'll do this together. I'll offer a, f- uh, a number of suggestions. We won't spend too long with any one category just to kind of go through. And then I'll leave some time for you to explore and make up your own categories, things that have meaning in your life based on um, your community, um, your particular identity, and so forth. And then we'll have some time at the end for questions. So finding your posture, and just taking a few moments to settle in and arrive. Relaxing the body. Seeing if there are any places of tension or tightness, any unnecessary holding that could be softened or relaxed. Perhaps even having a sense of appreciation for this body. this physical form that supports our life and our practice. Seeing if you can touch into any quality of ease or rest. Just the simplicity of being here. Letting the structure and the phrases go for a little bit.
if you like, resting the attention in the heart. However it is right now. Seeing if you can call forth this natural quality of warmth, of kindness that we all share. Connecting with the sincere wish for happiness and well-being in ourself and one another. And starting wherever it's easiest. With oneself, a benefactor, or a friend. From this place of understanding, that deep wish that deep wish for happiness. Opening the heart to the possibility of wishing oneself or another well.
Anytime you lose the thread, just coming back to that intention to be kind, to be friendly, with goodwill. Moving on, if you like, to another category, perhaps extending it to yourself or a neutral person, just if that feels right. Slowly cultivating this field of warmth and kindness. Lightly resting your attention with the phrases. Even checking the quality of your heart. Is there a sense of ease or openness? Is it pushing 
or contracted, just as a way of noticing and learning. How could this feel more easeful, more flowing? If you like, you can stay with the person you're currently offering metta to. Or you can join me in exploring, opening and widening the field to different groups. And as we do this, it can be helpful to work with an image either of an actual group of those beings or just an image of one being from the category as a representation. Could even be some kind of poetic metaphor that represents the group. Just whatever helps you to find an authentic connection. So perhaps beginning by offering metta to all babies and children.
offering metta to all adults. Extending this wish to all those in their later years, to all elderly people, offering this simple wish of kindness to all female beings.
at any point, if you particularly connect with a category, feel free to stay there, even as I continue to offer the exploration of different realms. Offering metta to all male beings, all those who identify as male. Offering metta to all those who identify as non-binary, gender queer, gender non-conforming or transgender. Offering metta to all human beings.
extending this wish, this simple wish for well-being to all non-human beings. The emphasis isn't on whether these wishes are true or not, but on that capacity to wish well, regardless of the circumstances. For the time remaining, I invite you to offer metta to any categories that are meaningful for you. Creatures in the sky, on the land or in the sea, those living in times of peace or times of war, those born and yet to be born.
finally, if you like, sharing metta with all those here on the retreat at IMS and on this land. Recognizing that even as you are offering metta outwards, so too are a hundred others offering metta that includes you. So we went rather quickly through categories just to give you a sense of shifting the attention, kind of widening the scope. And this particular aspect of the practice really involves the imagination a lot more because we're expanding the heart and the mind um, you know, in ways beyond one personal connection. So it, it really involves the sense of creativity, you know, really opening to that which is beyond our immediate capacity to know or even to sense. So for the, the rest of the day, you can experiment with this. You can just choose like one set of those categories. If there's a particular set that resonates with you, of, you know, a, a two or three tier category, you could just stay with that one set. Or you could choose a, a couple of sets, a few sets, and cycle through them. And just see what that's like exploring uh, opening the heart to wider field of beings. So I have a little wad of notes here. 
with questions. Uh, I think I'm inclined to maybe start with what's present in the room first and just see where that goes and then and then I can try to answer some of these. Yeah. Can I just interject? Um, Just because I know less about that argument in the research, I don't think I'll be able to answer the specific question you have in a satisfactory way. Um, What I can say is from the perspective of the Dharma, the, the angle and the way of holding more theoretical or philosophical questions is one, uh, it's a very pragmatic approach. And rather than um, trying to arrive at a definitive answer that can be proven, which is useful, from the perspective of the Dharma, the approach is more, what's the effect of holding this particular view? What's the effect of orienting to life in this particular way? And is, and is that beneficial to me in my life? So it's, it's more of looking at, maybe this is true, maybe it's not, but if I look at things in this way, or if I do this practice, or if I approach a situation with this particular intention, what is the result? How does it affect the state of my mind and the quality of my interactions? And then to see, based on that, what's useful in our life in terms of our values and how we want to live. So that's one, not to say that there isn't value in the more scientific approach and really looking at those perspectives, but another way of relating and holding it, and I think they can inform each other, is the the pragmatic approach of, of experimenting in one's own experience and then seeing what's the effect. So I would I would offer that within the context of the retreat and the and the practice. It's a good answer because it's about Great. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Huda. I'm finding the categories to be very distant. Start again a little bit louder. I'm finding the categories. The categories. Yeah. Once you become general, they seem to be so distant. Yes. Yes. So I don't seem to generate anything. Right. Yeah, so the, the, the question was, uh, uh, once moving to categories, they seem to be so general that they're very distant, and it's hard to really connect or, or, fee, or you know, generate any the genuineness of the, of the, of the metta. Um, quite common, yeah. And this is, this is where 
kind of the imagination, the sense of creativity, um, poetry, metaphor comes in and really kind of contemplating, you know, like so when we were doing Babies and Children, like I was just thinking of the two young children I just spent time with. And then in that, kind of just imagining them as representations of all young people. Or when doing uh, like the different genders can imagine, you know, just one or two beings or maybe a particular quality that represents that gender in your mind as a way of connecting with that um, almost like the potency or the potential of life in that form. Yeah, and so it's an exploration. And and uh, it's not to expect that there would be an instant connection. Yeah. Yeah, please. So it's really more of an observation. I had such an interesting morning with my difficult person because I, it's my sister, and she's in every category mm-hmm. uh, all the time. So every, I got to go to talk to her, she's like, hey, I'm like, no, not yet. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. so today I was like, okay, come out and play. And it's, I'm, you know, I was ready for it. We've been so close for so long. We've had a very difficult relationship in the past couple of years. And all my heart left and said, it's candy. Mm-hmm. Oh, may you be happy. And then I went along with this very, like, it felt a little childlike. And all of a sudden, my brain went, hey. Hey, are you in there? Do you remember what she said? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah. No, I'm so happy to see her. And it was just sort of like interesting mm-hmm. how yeah. I really felt yeah. from my heart and I really heard from my head. And so yeah. it was Great. kind of interesting yeah. dichotomy. And when you said that earlier, um, when you opened up the session, I was like, yeah, because then I could give it to myself easier than I had all week. Great. Great. Thank you. Very interesting. Thank you. Just behind you, there was another question. Yeah. So I found um, it was along the lines of what the first person was saying. Yeah. I found it to be kind of othering to divide humans. Mm-hmm. Joy, like, yeah. You know, there's something about them. That yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and and there's that potential. It's uh, the idea is one. It's it is meant to be inclusive. Right? So if you look at the traditional categories, it's actually meant to, in, to include all. And uh, there is that potential for saying, you know, well, innately, as soon as we start categorizing, right, or putting people in different boxes, we're separating. And at the same time, we live in a world where there's difference. <laughs> it's a reality, you know, whether it's socially constructed or biologically constructed, you know. So you can do like meta for all citizens, meta for all immigrants, Meta for those who have a home, meta for those who don't have a home. Meta for those who have a healthy body, meta for those who have an unhealthy body. I mean, it's a way of of connecting with the different facets of life. That's kind of how I see it. And again, of exploring, where are my boundaries? Where is it easy for me to offer kindness? Where is it harder? So it's, it's in that spirit of exploration and expansiveness. That, that the practice is, is meant, in my understanding at least. Yeah, I think I felt there's something presumptuous about putting, you know, like, let me think of the mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah. Is there a risk to sort of spiritually bypass, if you will, if you're not calling up a specific enough, uh, like you mentioned, the two children? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking like people in prison, yeah. people in prison camps, yeah. and I'm thinking people crossing the border. But right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, when you mentioned those two children, it mm-hmm. just made me think of, is that more helpful to make it real when they're not in our immediate Right. Again, this is, it really, de- it's, it really depends on you, I think, and what's useful in terms of supporting the genuineness of the connection and the fullness of the connection, Right. And there is that it's it's wisdom that's coming in and saying, hey, like, don't skip over this. You know, is there something I'm I'm blocking out? Is there something I'm avoiding? That's the faculty of the mind that's discerning. And we can, you know, trust that and then listen to that and say, oh, yeah, let's let's include that. Let's go here. Let's see what that's like. Yeah. Yeah, Sabel. Mm-hmm. That is a kind of um, like slower brain thing that people do is like you, you put people in the category. Mm-hmm. So I think that I, I think I think I was taking it as acknowledging that tendency that mm-hmm. has defining yourself like as mm-hmm. an allergist, mm-hmm. but then I'm an artist. Like how, once you start doing that to yourself, so I actually went with the self one. So just acknowledging that natural tendency of humans to have an in-group and an out-group, to kind of define our world based on self and other, and then to and then using the practice to explore that process. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, please. I feel experientially this is where mindfulness and metta intersect. Somehow, if I am outside and I'm watching the bees mm-hmm. or the tree or the birds or something that I haven't really looked at, mm-hmm. so really look at a horse, mm-hmm. listen to a horse, smell, then it actually becomes easier to do what you said, yes. to just take that one horse yes. and expand it to other animals, to, that, yeah. you know, to all animals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does yeah. feel more Great. universal. Great. Yeah, please. Um, I just wanted to clarify, I guess, what I, I feel like I'm hearing. Um, so it's not, you're basically saying it's not about the specificity, really, but it's about the connection. And really, it's it's thinking through our own bounds or sort of limits within, you know, because actually similar to the person who spoke back there, I also found it really sort of hard to do the, mm-hmm. the categories and Yeah, the, again, so if we come back to the, this, 
the core of this practice. The core of this practice is strengthening the the quality of kindness in the heart. And what would it be like to have boundless love for all beings? Without exception. So to get to that without exception, we need to discover where the exceptions are. One way of doing that is to start looking at the categories in our minds and seeing, you know, wherever you are in the political spectrum, you know, can you offer metta to those who have different views, right? They want to be happy too. They probably have good intentions also, even though they have very different ideas about how to realize them in the political sphere. Yeah. So maybe one or two more and then I'll look at these. Mm. You know, addiction, alcohol, yeah. I feel much more loving. Uh-huh. So there's a real difference. Interesting. Experience yes. specifics yeah. rather than having dealing with the yeah. category. Yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll just repeat what Jerry is saying is that um, his difficult person is someone who's an alcoholic and that in offering metta for them, it's often very challenging and to, to access but in offering the category for all those who s- suffer from addiction, there was much more of a connection and a softening in the heart. Yeah, it's an interesting observation. Thank you. Yeah, last one. I'd just like to ask that is, I find that, okay, maybe the older I get, the more I stumble upon things that I'm absolutely not aware of or that uh-huh. uh, are completely new to me. Uh, That's great. So, yeah. 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 It's learning. Willingness to not know. Okay. um, So just a few questions. Maybe I'll just actually pause here. If there's anyone who's feeling uh, ready to move on to some walking, um, please feel free to, to take your leave. Um, dear Sharon, (laughs) can you give a few more pointers for picking a difficult person? Should I be thinking of someone whose actions have hurt me or someone that I've hurt and therefore, therefore feel shame or sorrow about both people are difficult to reflect on. And then there's a question about forgiveness, which is a little bit related. I find myself switching to forgiveness practice phrases. I notice they have a slightly different taste than metta. Not so much about wishing happiness, but recognizing ignorance and harm caused and then moving on. How is the forgiveness practice included in the Brahma Viharas? So forgiveness practice is a distinct cultivation. Uh, It's not formally included within the Brahma Viharas, just as gratitude practice is not formally included within the Brahma Viharas. Um, but they are related and supportive heart practices, kind of within the suite of cultivating the good heart in, uh, in the Buddhist path. In terms of picking a difficult person, the recommendation, the instruction is that this is someone with whom we have difficulty. 
So somebody that brings up unpleasant feelings or emotions, irritation, annoyance, aversion. Um, so the, the, again, the suggestion is to start at the lower end of difficulty where it's someone who's mildly annoying or irritating rather than someone who brings up you know, intense hatred or panic and fear. Right? We want to work up to that. Um, forgiveness practice, um, there's you know, three domains of forgiveness. There's offering forgiveness to others. There's asking for forgiveness from others. And there's offering forgiveness to oneself. And it's a very powerful practice. It's, again, a practice of intention that we, we incline the heart towards the intention to forgive, even if we're not able to access it. And there are phrases for forgiveness practice, just as there are for these other qualities, traditional phrases. Um, in any way that I have harmed you, in thought, word, or deed, knowingly or unknowingly, I humbly ask for forgiveness, or I freely offer forgiveness. So this can be a very powerful practice, and it takes time, you know, it's not, not to rush that. Uh, another question, I started wondering if I was projecting the values that I love in my benefactor onto my neutral person. Um, I don't know, because I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but the idea is that, so we're not, we're not saying like, oh, my benefactor is so wonderful and you neutral person therefore are so wonderful also or you difficult person are so wonderful. We're not making an assumption about this person, but we're looking underneath the personality to the shared humanity to say, regardless of your behavior and your views and your actions, regardless of your particular qualities or capacities, on some level I can recognize that you just want to be happy, that you just want to live in peace, that you prefer pleasure over pain. And so on that basic level, you know, may you be happy and well, may you be free from fear and hatred, you know, may you be surrounded by goodness and love, this, this sense is what we're, what we're connecting to rather than projecting or assuming something about a person's you know, particular life. A uh, question about Sharon often uses the phrase getting used to it, which is a Tibetan um, uh, way of talking about meditation. They talk about it getting used to it. Um, I like this, but I'm not sure what it means. What is it? we're getting used to. Uh, So I'm probably not the best person to answer this question since I haven't done a lot of Tibetan practice, but from the way Sharon speaks about it, um, she's pointing to the the understanding of the innate um, aware nature of the mind that the human mind has as its foundation um, a sense of undisturbed peaceful awareness, that when the mind isn't clouded by self-centeredness, greed, aversion, confusion, its nature is to recognize the present moment in a clear way 
and that that clarity of mind is imbued with certain qualities like compassion and um, emptiness, awareness. And so that's what's being referred to as far as I understand. It's getting used to the pure, the purity and innate awareness of the mind. And one way of understanding meditation, certain kinds of meditation, is that we are um, recognizing that those qualities within ourselves and then familiarizing ourselves more and more. And so that's one way of understanding metta practice is we're accessing um, these qualities of kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity that, that are potentials within us and then getting more and more familiar with them moment by moment so that we know how to access them. Any advice on burning out on the metta phrases after repeating them for hours over and over again? (laughs) Yeah. It's important to be connecting with the felt sense or the intention behind the words. You know, the words are the channel or the conduit for the loving kindness. And so you might find that the phrases begin to get simpler. Like it's fine if your phrase is, you know, may you be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. That's a mouthful. You know, and after four or five days, it might just be safe. And it carries the fullness of the meaning, but it's represented by that one word. And so as the concentration waxes and wanes, you may need fewer words. It's fine to just have that, you know, safe, happy, healthy, ease. And then, you know, if the, if the concentration begins to fray and the mind is more scattered, then you pick up more of the structure again, you know. May you be safe and protected. Or you drop the may you and it's just safe and protected. So it can be quite flexible. And that can help to keep it a little bit more alive. It's also fine to drop the phrases altogether sometimes. If the metta is flowing and there's a sense of connection, let the words go. You know, just, just abide in the quality. And then if it starts to get fuzzy and diffuse and you lose the connection, then you bring the structure back in. So I hope that helps. Uh, Can you explain the difference again between loving kindness practice and compassion practice? Are there things we can do to increase compassion if that's somewhat inaccessible to us? So loving kindness is just this basic orientation of goodwill. You know, it's like you see someone in the street, a friend, it's like, Hey, it's so good to see you. You know, how are you doing? Everything going okay? That's loving kindness. If your friend says to you, like, you know, I just had this like terrible thing happen. You know, I just lost my, you know, dog, or I lost my job, or, you know, and you respond, may you be happy. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> right? Loving kindness is no longer the appropriate attuned response. It's compassion. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's awful. How are you getting along? Is there anything I can do to help? 
Okay, so compassion is the, is the response to suffering. It's that quality of care and concern and tenderness. It has a poignancy to it. There's the resonance with the pain and the, the interest and willingness to soothe in whatever way might be helpful. So that's the difference. In terms of the practice and cultivating it, with compassion practice, we're we're honing in on that quality of suffering as as the impetus for the concern. It's said in the commentaries that the proximate cause for the arising of compassion is seeing the helplessness of beings. The helplessness that we feel in the face of suffering can give rise to compassion. So in cultivating it, the the shift is is to move towards the willingness to turn towards the suffering, to see that quality. So picture someone you care for, you know, with tears or or the the pain in the face or their voice cracking. And see, allow the heart to be moved by that. And then, and then the, the, the dance with compassion is, is walking that line between sorrow and grief, between falling into the suffering, becoming overwhelmed by it, which is not compassion, and staying with the, the strength of compassion. Compassion is a very strong and stable state. It's very grounded it, that, that's that sense of like if someone's drowning, you don't just jump in the water with them. They might pull you down. You know, you get a, a buoy. You get a raft. You get an oar. You get something that's going to help them with so that there's, a, there's a, a support present to be with the pain. So it's been a lot of words. Um, We've all been working very hard for many days. And uh, let yourself be carried by that. Let yourself trust trust your practice. Trust that you know what kindness is and keep coming back to it. And, you know, at this point, I think... Listen to your own wisdom and your own intuition for what's needed. If it's metta for yourself, if it's staying with the difficult person, continuing to explore that if it feels rich, or if it's moving on to the categories and exploring those realms. But whichever, whichever you're doing, uh, see if you can sustain the connection to build on all of the work that you've been doing. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.